just look back to the portion we've read. And we've read in the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 49. We want to center our thoughts in words that we find in verses 3 through to 7. <coughs> in that context, as the Lord enables us. And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel be gathered to him. For I shall be glorified. I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him who man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, and so on. Verses 3 to 6 especially. <coughs> the first thing we have to consider here is who is this servant? And now the Lord says upon me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. And it's there in verse 3 also, and he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. <coughs> well, it's not Israel. Because we <coughs> read in verse 5 that the servant is to bring back Jacob to him. And Jacob is Israel. And I'm going to speak of Israel bringing back Israel to him. Surely not. No, the servant is other than Israel in this case. The servant is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the way that we have it here. You see, he is the true Israel. He speaks of himself in Gospel according to John in chapter 15, I am the true vine. Now the vine was the emblem of Israel. Sam speaks of a vine from Egypt brought thou hast by thine outstretched hand. Israel being brought out of Egypt. Well, Christ speaks of himself as the true vine. He speaks of himself as the true Israel. And Israel was to be the servant of the Lord. She was the chosen nation of God. But she was chosen for a purpose. She was to be the servant of the Lord to bring the truth 
the oracles of God having been invested in Israel, she was to bring the truth that was invested in her as the chosen to the nations of the earth. And in that from it, she had failed. You see that in the very same prophecy that we're reading here. I think in chapter 43 and verse 19, who is blind as my servant? Who is blind as Israel? Who has failed in her midst like Israel has? She has been a failed servant. But Christ comes and says, I am the true Israel. And in effect, he said, I am the true servant. I have come to complete the remit, the greater remit indeed, that Israel has, has, that has been invested in me by the Father, to be the Redeemer of the lost. He is the servant. Now that, uh, you, you find that also brought out in the, this portion of this Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 to 9, uh, some say chapter 45, but Chapter 49 itself, we've just read verses 1, I think, to 6 or so. And then chapter 52, the last verse, chapter, chapter 52 and verse 13, and right through it to chapter 53. These are known as the servant songs, the servant passages. And they are regarded as being a unity. And you find reference made to them in the meeting of Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch in uh, Acts chapter 8. Remember that Philip had been directed into into Gaza and uh, there he had met with this man in the cart coming down from Jerusalem, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he was reading in scriptures. And uh, Philip went up to him and he was, do you understand what you're reading, he said. How can I unless somebody explains it to me, was the answer. And he was reading in Isaiah 53, one of the seven passages. Of whom is the, whom was this passage speaking? And Philip spoke to him, Christ. Christ is the center, not only of Isaiah 53, but of all of these seven passages, 49 that we have here, the early verses, and also 42. There's chapter 42, you remember, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighted. Seven passages, Christ. And Christ himself speaks uh, that as well, doesn't he? When he says, uh, I am I am not come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give myself a ransom for many. Well, to minister, to serve, to be a servant. <coughs> so Christ is surely the servant of the Lord here. Maybe we could include Christ with his people. Because when you come to Acts chapter 13, and verse 47, we read these words, spoken by Paul. 
For the Lord has commanded us, I have sent you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. A quotation from these seven passages of Isaiah 42, verse 6, and also from Isaiah 49, verse 6. You could think of the, we can think of the people of the Lord as being, as it were, in the loins of Christ, within the covenant, within his covenant people, and that they were to be the servants as well. Here they are the sent ones by him to be his witnesses and to be his servants. But particularly it's Christ himself. <coughs> now having taken that as a by way of introduction what else are we here to consider this morning well first of all we must consider a great temptation that is set before our Lord in this passage and just note at the moment that the temptation is associated with words that you find in verse 4. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my reward is with my God. And then secondly, there is the arguments that the scriptural arguments by which the Lord himself resists this temptation. And you find that, uh, that I've just quoted, in fact, in verse 4, yet surely my reward is with, my, with the Lord. My judgment is with my God, is the way it's put in the authorised version. And there's a nuance of meaning there that is maybe a wee bit closer. Uh, and also, uh, the words that you find in verse 2 he has made my mouth as a sharp sword and in the shadow of his hand he has hidden me he has made me a polished shaft in his quiver quiver he has has hidden me and that he was from the the Lord had, had taken care of him from the womb we can consider these words in, in looking at the arguments by which he resists the temptation. And then, thirdly, the great admission that uh, is given to him that is referred to in verse 6. Indeed, he says, the Lord says to him, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore their servants of Israel. I will also give you this enlarged mission, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my <coughs> salvation to the ends of the earth. These thoughts then today, the temptation, the arguments, scriptural arguments by which this temptation is resisted, and the <coughs> great admission that is given to him. And applying these to ourselves as we go along as well. And in that order. First, then, the temptation, fairly briefly on this point. 
the words that our Lord himself speaks there in verse 4. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Now these words speak of discouragement. They speak of disappointment. He has been, uh, we have already noted that his remit was uh, to restore Israel. His remit was to was towards Israel. And, well, Scripture tells us he came unto his own, and his own received him not. There must have been discouragement there. doesn't mean that, that, he, that, that, he, that he was totally disregarded, but in large measures, his own people had been opposed to his mission. <coughs> And that had been a disappointment and a discouragement. And whenever you get disappointment and discouragement, the enemy of our souls would come in. That is fertile ground for him to do his to do his dastardly work. And he will insinuate his own evil thoughts. It's a waste of time. Might as well give up. That's where the temptation came in. Our Lord was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Some people might say, oh, that if, it, if he was without sin, surely it was easy for him to resist temptation. Well, that's not a good way of thinking. When we are tempted to our shame, too often we give in right at the very beginning, very often. And as a result of that, we don't feel the tension and uh, we don't feel the tension that would be involved in resisting. But Christ, the sinless one, does not give in. And he goes into it resisting and meeting the tension greater and greater all the time. So temptation was there with them. And we mustn't think of it as just an easy thing and disregard it. Now secondly, the argument, scriptural arguments by which he would resist that temptation. Well, the first one is there they're all, of course, they're all centered on he finds his consolation, he finds his strength in God himself, as you and I must as well. And he finds his strength, first of all, in God's righteousness. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely, this is his strength, yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and with my work with my God, my reward with my God. Now, I did mention that there's a new, the, the authorised version, I believe, has a nuance of meaning here that brings it out more clearly. My judgment is with my God. And uh, the sense of my judgment being with my God is, it is with the Lord. It is the Lord who decides what is what, 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 what is to become of me. It is with the Lord, not with me, as it were. It's with the Lord 
to decide what is what he is to do to me. For him to apportion what reward or otherwise is to be mine in my labor. I have been faithful, I, I have been faithful in my laboring, but it's with the Lord, not with me, to determine that portion. My judgment, the decision as to what would become of that labor, is with the Lord. And he could say, of course, on top of that, the Lord doeth all things well. And therefore I commit all that to him. And that's first of all his first his first strength is in the righteousness of his God. <coughs> he will not disregard the faithfulness of his servant. And then secondly, he finds an argument in the faithfulness of his God. He can look back to promises that have been there to him within the covenant, we believe, within the ever eternal covenant, uh, referred to. It's, it, they're, they're there. He has made my mouth to be a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me, and uh, he has made me a polished shaft. In his, in his quiver he has hidden me. In this warfare, inverted commas, in this service, in this warfare in which I am engaged as a servant, this warfare of words, in bringing the truth to his people, <coughs> the Lord has made me effective. The Lord has promised that my mouth will be as a sharp sword, that it will be effective. He will give me effective words. The Lord has promised to make me as a polished shaft, give accuracy to my words as a, an arrow of <coughs> He has hidden me in his quiver. The Lord has given me words to speak. He has, been, he has promised that to me, and he has been I could, he could look back on the promises and say, God has been faithful in his promises. He has indeed made my mouth a sharp sword. He has made my, my words to be like polished shafts in their accuracy. He could speak of, uh, well, what you have in the psalm, I think, Psalm 45, grace in his mouth doth flow. The grace had been given to him from the Lord to speak what was right, whether in parables or whether in responding to those who brought taunts against him. He was able to speak a word in season always as the Lord had promised to give him. And he could say that from the womb the Lord had equipped him. And that's not just speaking of that it was that it, that, that that promise had been made at that point uh, of inception in the womb, but from the womb, from the womb forward, from there on, as it were, the Lord has equipped me He 
He hustled. Been enabling me to grow in strength. In each trial in which I have been found in the providence that has passed over me, the Lord has been equipping me in each of years. By faith I have met, I've been able to meet these providences, these difficulties, the Lord, and I approve the faithfulness of his promise he has kept me. And with each keeping, with each keeping grace in each particular time, he's been strengthened more and more. He's been made more and more effective. You see, he's looking back to the promises that were there regarding from the faithful God about the words that he would speak and how he should speak them. And he could say, well, the Lord has been faithful to me in that. He's been looking back to the promises that the Lord would keep them from the womb upwards in all the difficulties that would meet him. And he could look back and say, I have been kept. The Lord has been faithful. And when you see your difficulties in that light, the disappointments and the discouragements in the light of the faithfulness of the God who has kept me until now, well, we can say with David, the one who has kept me from the paw of the lion and the mouth of the bear, he shall keep me in every difficulty from there on. And that is the way that the reasoning is the Saviour himself is here. It finds a strength, first of all, in the righteousness of the God who will determine what his reward would be. And he finds a strength in the faithfulness of the God who has promised and who has been faithful in his promises to know and who will surely therefore be faithful in the future. He changes that. Now, that we must apply to ourselves. You can apply it to the ministry of the word and to ministers, first of all, we preach the gospel we trust faithfully but all we can say with, with, the, with, with the Lord very often I have labored in vain oh how few conversions and there can be discouragement and there can be disappointment and the enemy comes in and we must find our strength in the righteousness of God. My judgment is with my God and in the faithfulness of the God who has kept us hitherto. Same thing can be there in the prayers that the Lord's people make for loved ones. You've been praying for this one over a long time. And instead of uh, seeing a change taking place in the life of the one for whom you have been interceding, it seems that he's getting worse and worse. And all oh, what discouragement can be in that. And how the enemy will come into that as well and tempt. 
and we must find our strength. My judgment is with my God. He does all things right. And in the faithfulness of the one who has kept me at the throne of grace, pleading until now, he has given me the perseverance. He's given me the perseverance to go on until now. And the one who has enabled me so to do, he will enable me to continue and find my strength alone in him. So that the Lord could say, in the face of this temptation, when he sees things in the right perspective, in the perspective of the strength of God that is his in his righteousness and in his faithfulness, instead of being made weak, I have been made effective. I have been being strengthened in every tire up to now. The Lord has been preparing me for more. That's what he's been doing. And that brings us on to the third point. This uh, greater mission that is there in verse 6. <clears throat> Indeed, he says, that is God says to him. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. Uh, how do we understand these words? The remit that has been given to you regarding Israel, well, that's too small. Your capacity requires, and your dignity requires a greater mission to be given to you than just to confine it to Israel, the commonwealth of Israel. Your remit must now be to go further. A light to the Gentiles and indeed um, my salvation to the ends of the earth. A greater mission. The Lord has been preparing him in the difficulties and even in the present disappointment. Finding his strength in the Lord himself for this greater mission. Now that had been the Lord's intention all along. That he should be not just a, a servant in terms of the nation of Israel, but that, that it would be to the ends of the earth. Isn't that what we are to understand from the words that are spoken right at the very beginning of uh, close to the beginning of Genesis speaking spoken to Abraham um, in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed not just in Abraham but in the Christ of Abraham in him would all the nations of the earth be blessed. In Abraham, yes, in the sense the descendant of Abraham would be Christ, and there the nations of the earth would be blessed. Not just Israel, but beyond the greater mission. The Lord's intention all along. 
But with Christ himself, well, we must remember that he is not only God, but he is very man of very man. And we read that he grew in wisdom and knowledge with God and man. There was a progression in his human understanding. And it would seem, I wouldn't put it any stronger than that, it would seem that there was that progression in this case, that he understood his mission in the early part of his ministry to be to the commonwealth of Israel. Isn't that the way he speaks to the Syrophoenician woman? I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Whereas when you come to the end of his ministry, it's go ye into all the world. So that it would seem that there was this progression in his human understanding of what Islamite was to be. I must admit there's one portion that would appear to torpedo that, and that is that in the very first year of his ministry, there was this meeting with the woman of Samaria at the well, a non-Jew. But otherwise, it would seem to be, and I'll just leave it with you, it would seem to be that there was a progression in his understanding regarding what his mission was to be. And in any case, we can apply that to ourselves also. That where there is faithfulness in whatever uh, remit has been uh, apportioned to us from the Lord as his servants and as his witnesses, as his people, Yes, there would be disappointments. Yes, there would be discouragements. Yes, there would be disapp- uh, temptations. But by the grace of God, finding strength in himself and his righteousness and his faithfulness, we are, we are kept. And as we are kept from one difficulty to another, so the mission is being extended. It's being enlarged. And we have to expect that. And the difficulties to become greater, we have to produce more fruit. And the more fruit is to be produced in the greater difficulties. The difficulties are presents, gifts from the Lord to his people. To you it is given not only to believe on him, but to suffer for him. Given to us. <coughs> that is true at a personal level that that will be the case and we must be at the throne of grace seeking strength to meet every situation that arises that the Lord uh, in, his, in his mercy puts, 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 into a, puts, into a, puts into our hands as it were and that we would meet we would be, we'd be to his glory in whatever portion he gives us also applies to the wider, not just to the personal, but to the corporate church.
that we must expect the mission to be widened as we are faithful. Now you have been placed here in Stornoway in a particular portion of shambles. And we mustn't just close in upon our shambles and say that's it. We must wait upon the Lord for a greater mission. The island is needy. Souls dying. And it's a greater mission that is set before the church. Not just this denomination, but every denomination in the island. And not just competitively, but cooperatively. There must be in prayerful dependence upon the Lord's grace a cooperative operation to enter into that great mission that is set before us. Fields white unto hands. The Lord entered into that to the full. And he could say at the end of his ministry, oh, it involved much more for him than for any of us. Much, much more. It is finished. Or to be able to say that at the end, that we have been faithful, that he has enabled us to be faithful, and that we have kept the faith. Let us pray. to praise thee that hitherto has the Lord helped us and that within that covenant that is ratified in the blood of the incarnate Son the hitherto's always must and indeed do lead to the henceforths and may we rejoice in the henceforth the prospect of that crown of glory that awaits thy faithful ones We are not sent to be ministered unto, but to minister. <coughs> oh, help us to be faithful. Take away all our iniquities. Follow with thy blessing our meditation in thy word. Receive us with a pardon of our many sins in our speaking and hearing. In Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Psalm 134. <coughs> the whole psalm, or two verses. Behold, bless ye the Lord, on ye that his attendants are, even you that in God's temple be and praise him nightly there. Your hands within God's holy place lift up and praise his name from Zion Hill. The Lord be blessed that heaven and earth to pray. <coughs>